Hello, welcome back to the Drinking Liberally podcast, the show that combines good alcohol with some friendly political banter. I'm Kevin Wilson, and this week I'm joined in the co-host chair by Dennis Skeet. Hey, everybody. Dennis, good to have you here holding down the fort while uh, Jeff's out of town. Welcome back. Thank you. We're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, rather than follow kind of like the up-to-date news of the week, we're going to try to keep it a little broader in scope and talk about just general arguments from the right and left and where we come down on it and our reasoning behind it. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, of course, we've got some beers to drink and beers to discuss. Yeah. So being that it is now officially the holiday season, uh, this beer this week will be the 2019 Christmas Ale out of the Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco, California. Uh, Anchor Brewing has actually been around since 1896. They they claim to be America's first craft brewery, and since they've been open that long, I'll, I tend to give it to them. This beer, I, I've, I enjoy this one a lot better than last week's. Um, it's got a really, really dark color to it, almost black, yeah. but it's, it's a, it is a very dark brown. Uh, it's got a very thin cream-colored head that sticks around on top after you pour it out. The smell's got a little bit of... T- spice to it but it's mostly like a caramel malty type smell Mm -hmm. and the taste follows that smell entirely it's very very malty uh it's got this sweetness to it and a tiny hint of like pine that comes towards the end uh it's 6.9 percent alcohol by volume so it'll definitely keep you feeling warm and toasty christmas time uh this fun fact about this beer this is the 45th iteration of this beer wow they brew a new one every single year, or have been since 1975. Um, every year, they shake up the recipe a bit, change it a bit, and then they also update their artwork where they get someone to hand draw a different kind of tree cool. on it. <laughs> so kind of cool it's been around that long. I did actually have their uh, 2018 mm-hmm. edition of this. I actually think I preferred the 2018 to the 2019, but whatever. It's, it's a good beer, good holiday beer. I kind of enjoy the label here too. It's got a very like old-fashioned Christmassy vibe to yeah. it. Um, this year's tree, as they note, is a evergreen conifer native to Northern California. To me, it looks like a standard Christmas tree. Yeah, regular old tree to me. Yep. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure there's something different about it. To, yeah. <laughs> to I don't. I don't know my Christmas trees, so I'll, I'll take their word for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dennis, <laughs> did you get a sip of this yet? Uh, no. Let me yeah. try it. Let me know your thoughts on that. Interesting. <laughs> it's definitely different than a lot of the beers we've had recently. And yeah, I, I typically bring on the IPAs. I don't usually bring like ales like this. It's not bad, though. I'm not a huge fan of like the kind of malt mm-hmm. taste, but uh, it's it's actually not that bad. But I that's something I'd probably I'd have one of and I'd probably not go back to it. Yeah, it's a, it's. It doesn't sit in the stomach as heavy, but it tastes heavy yeah, as yeah. you're sipping it. Definitely has a heavy taste to it. Definitely. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I would pick up a six-pack of this again. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this, especially for the season. It's only around from middle of November to middle of January. Mm-hmm. It's a good beer for this time of year uh, and to shake things up a bit. But So we're drinking that, the 2019 Christmas Ale from Anchor Brewing out of San Francisco, California. That'll get us through our episode today as we discuss uh, a number of topics. And Dennis and I were out at the bar earlier in the week, 
and kind of were going through some, I guess, what you call liberal nightmare scenarios. Yeah. Like, and one of them was, you know, what happens if the GOP wins not only the presidency in 2020, but also the Senate and the House? Yeah. Dove into that a little bit. We talked it through what our worries are and is this even feasible? We did a little research after that. It's not as likely that they'll win the House just by the nature of the districts up for grabs and where they are and who's retiring, etc. But the idea that the Republicans could reelect Donald Trump and keep the Senate is a very, very real one. Yeah, definitely. And Dennis, why, why is this so concerning to you? Well, I mean, one, you know, we've talked before about what a, a Democratic uh, president could do if they can't get the Senate and how that will, you know, we'll have to do use executive, um, uh, executive orders to, to get stuff through as opposed to passing stuff in the house and the Senate. But, but yeah, we usually don't talk about, well, what if Trump is there with, uh, with the Republican Senate and, you know, things like healthcare and a lot of the things that we want to do, you know, none of that's going to happen. Um, as for the House, I, I think I think what we came to is right. It, it's probably not a good chance that the Republicans can take the House. I did I did see a lot, a lot of articles from like um, right leaning uh, magazines that and and media that that say like oh they could, and they're kind of they're kind of like counting on you know just a complete disillusionment with liberals you know and and medicare for all and all kinds of things to for that to happen and i I don't you know i don't think that's where we are right now but uh but yeah i i worry that they can just do so much more damage with former years of trump and and a republican senate you know the the think right now trump's already got what 25 percent of all federal judges have been appointed by trump number and you know that's just gonna grow you know, and those are gets, lifetime appointments too. Yeah, we're not getting those back. Nope. So that's terrifying. And then, and then of course the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um. So I mean, those are probably the number one things they can do. Um. Without the House, I would assume they they can't get rid of um the ACA. Um. Is that is that probably the case? It would be tough. Um. I, mean, they, I guess we'll see where, I mean, there are some lawsuits currently that are right. probably heading up to the Supreme Court that might preclude this argument, but true. Um, but if they were to pass their own, you know, Senate bill, yeah, they if wouldn't the Democrats approved. own the house, then it's not going anywhere. Right. So, so the fact that they have all these judges puts them in a position where they actually could potentially take down the ACA with the courts yeah. and, and then clearly we millions of people would lose healthcare, um, and there was you know the chances of something being passed that gets people healthcare is I would say is pretty much zero. That's yeah, clearly not um, what they're trying to do. No, they they don't care about that. That's a scary thing to me. The healthcare argument is an awful one that should motivate everyone to go out and vote. Like if you want to expand healthcare, you want easy access to healthcare. There's literally only one party that's fighting for that. Yeah. So if you're a one-issue voter, that makes up your mind pretty easily. I understand most people are not just one single-issue voter. But that's a big one for me and a reason why I can't vote Republican. Like, there are a few things that, you know, if you're 
against expanding healthcare, I'm not voting for you. Yeah. If you're anti-union, I'm not voting for you. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that are just like non-starters for me. And when it comes to healthcare, now that we're on that topic, I, I think I kind of had a little epiphany and I've kind of decided that I don't really like all, not all, but most of the candidates in the democratic party are for expanding health coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if everyone's end goal is to have everyone covered. I know everyone's end goal is not to have, not to see private insurance go away. But I I think I've come to the place where as long as the goal is to increase coverage and to eventually get everyone covered, at this point, I don't really care. I prefer someone whose eventual goal is to get rid of private insurance, whether that's immediately, which I don't even think that's possible, or it's just over the long term, we gradually get there. That's kind of what I prefer. But so I'm, I think when it comes to healthcare, I'm, I'm done. Like I've, I think I've seen enough to say the candidates that I'm considering all have the same pretty much end goal mm-hmm. and the differences between them just are not important to me. Like any one of them works, you know, it doesn't, that that's not going to be my deciding factor anymore among the the candidates uh, right now that I like. Yeah, it is refreshing to kind of well, we can disagree on process and how to get there. Right. But yeah, they all have the same end goal, which is nice to hear for mm-hmm. once. Um, but again, all of that is that's a moot point if uh, Democrats don't take control of every you know facet. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats need to win the White House. They need to win the Senate and keep control of the House to get any of their legislative plans passed. That's why it's been kind of weird hearing even some Democrats, we won't name names about certain candidates right now, mm-hmm. that seem to think that if they win, Republicans will come around and realize it's a good idea and you know be bi- bipartisan again. Like I don't know where this particular candidate was during his own time in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> When Mitch McConnell flat out said that they would pass nothing that was passed by the Obama White House. Right. But, um, yeah, we need need to control the Senate. Uh, we might have talked about this before, Dennis, but if you had a preference for winning the White House or Senate, which is it? If the Dems can only take one, and this is assuming they keep the House, wow. they can only keep the White House or they can only keep or win the Senate. We did talk about this before, um, but this is interesting to revisit. I, I would think if you get the White House and you have the House, you're not going to really get anything passed, but you got the executive orders and you can maybe get some stuff done. Um, if you get the Senate... I guess at that point you're just blocking you can make sure that they can't get anything done and I guess you stop them from appointing any judges mm-hmm. that are like insane um but if even if we were to take the Senate we're not going to have a veto proof majority so we can't push things through right. so I guess I would take the president cuz the executive you know Executive orders can do something. 
I've waffled, and I don't remember what I said last time we brought it up on the pod, but I'm, I probably chose the Senate, but now I'm definitely on your side here yeah. with the White House because not only does he have the ability, or she, have the ability to issue executive orders, but controls our military yeah. and foreign policy. True, very true. Which is a huge thing in the back of my mind now. Not, not even back of my mind. It's come to the forefront yeah. in like scary fashion recently. Yeah, and, we're in the middle of that right now. You know, we're talking Christmas time. North Korea is talking about giving us a new gift, um, oh, probably in the form of another nuclear missile test. Yeah. Um, or new capabilities, unveiling new capabilities their missiles have. That stuff worries the hell out of me. And Commander-in-Chief President has direct control over all of that and those relations and you know, staffing the State Department and making sure that we are in good diplomatic standing across the globe. So, yeah, the Donald Trump's got to be removed from the White House. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, same. I was, previously I said that the Senate was probably more important. Uh, but now, seeing how much damage can be done, like you said, the State Department, um, North Korea, Iran, the the the... Paris Climate Agreement, the just trade war with China. Like, there's just an endless list of things that the president has direct control over um, that the Senate and the House don't really can affect. It's just it's just so important that we that we get someone in there that's got some sense. Let's say best case scenario for Democrats, they win the White House, they win the Senate, they keep control of the House. Mm-hmm. They now control the government outright. What do you think would be the best safeguards to put in place immediately? Because keeping all of those levels of government under one party control is kind of a fleeting thing, right? We've seen it swing back and forth. Yeah. So even if they do take control in 2020, there's a good chance 2022 you inevitably see some kind of backlash to that from yep. the other side that draws out you know, um, additional voting support, mm-hmm. and they could lose the House in 2022. Yeah. So you got two years. What do you do with those two years, Dennis? What, what's the biggest things that they need to pass, and what can they do to safeguard the country and the government from falling into what we've seen occur over the last three years? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, healthcare, um, tax situation, all these things are super, super important. Um, the stuff we just mentioned with the State Department and, and our foreign policy. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know Mayor Pete's been really big on this. I'm not sure if there's been anyone else that's been pushing this as much as him. Um, but, like, the, the whole democratic reforms and um, kind of fixing our democracy. I think whoever the president is, uh, that has to be our number one issue. And I know like the voting rights, a lot of that's controlled locally, but we've got we've to figure out things that we can put in place that can be relatively permanent, that can't be easily overturned, that can get us back to some sort of, you know, majority rules type of system. I mean, the thing that's really terrifying is, and this is, this could be a little incendiary making this comment, but the thing that seems kind of test terrifying for me is 
the GOP has realized that their numbers are in a lot of districts around the country, their registered Republican numbers are just lower than registered Democrats. And it seems like their strategy is has become how do we rule and, and run the country as a minority party? Mm-hmm. And, you know, kicking people off the voting rolls, making it really hard to vote, um, not reinstating voting um, rights to, to ex-felons and those kind of things. Like, they're doing everything they can to make sure people can't vote and can't participate. And, uh, and the thing that's just scary is if, if you've committed, if you've, if you've realized, like, like, we all kind of know how after Obama won, there was this kind of idea that the Republicans were going to reach out more to minorities and, and they had this kind of idea that, hey, we need to fix the party. And then they kind of at some point abandoned that and said, no, we can just like lean into this kind of like nationalist thing and we can win that way. But if, if you've got a party that's, that understands they're kind of the minority, but then also says, we don't care, we're going to put things in place so we can still have power, then you're basically, that party is, is basically leaning towards authoritarianism. And, and they are just going to, they're just going to, you know, do whatever they can, whether it's inviting foreign countries to, you know, impact our elections, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure they're in power. And that, and that leads to a very, very terrifying place. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you touched on a few things there that I think are so important. Uh, number one, to me at least, would be expanding voting rights. Mm-hmm. While you have control of the government, if you have all three, you know, facets there, then, you know, pass the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. You know, uh, expand coverage. Stop suppressing votes. Mm-hmm. Support efforts from the federal level to block foreign governments from interfering in our elections. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, mandating paper ballot backups for every vote, make sure those are hand counted. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen how easily any anything connected to the internet can be hacked. Yeah. Uh, especially if a you have a foreign apparatus intelligence agency that has a vested interest in hacking it, they will do it. We've already seen it happen. Yeah. So I think that should be first and foremost what they do is try to protect voting rights across the country. Uh, I know that there are limitations to what the federal government can do. A lot of it has to come from the state level, but the federal government should be doing everything it can to make sure people aren't disenfranchised um, across the country, get them to vote. We're, we talked about healthcare, so we're not gonna. I'm not gonna go any further into that. One thing that I, again, I don't think we can do, but if if there's some kind of law that could potentially be pushed, that could somehow weaken the uh, Citizens United decision, that'd be a big one for me. Yeah, because I don't think we can just get rid of that without having Supreme Court. I think it'd have to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. but if we can pass some laws that can limit or put some controls about how much money comes into politics from corporations and stuff. And even with like the stuff we're hearing now about Facebook and Google and how much control they have over the, you know, the the ads and everything, if there's some laws that can be passed that can kind of get some of these things under control, that, that would all, that all, all be good as well. Yeah. 
I, I wholly support that. I support getting rid of Citizens United entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything we can do to overturn that would be a huge step in the right direction. Get money and dark money out of politics. I think everyone, if you ask anyone on the street whether you think dark money should be involved in financing campaigns, I think everyone agrees no. Yeah. That that leads to so many conflicts of interest. That's a, a rare bipartisan agreement on that. Mm-hmm. And we should be focusing on candidates that have pledged to do so. And to, and by do so, I mean remove you know or s- propose laws that could potentially overturn Citizens United in the future yeah. and go up against it. Uh, we really need that to happen first and foremost because the lobbyists just kind of own yeah. a huge chunk of our government. It's insane. And we see what happens because there's so many regulations that have been overturned in just the last three years in the Trump administration where he's got, you know, coal lobbyists are now in charge of the EPA. Yeah. It's supposed to be protecting our environment and, you know, our lungs and health and the breathable air that we have. Now we have coal lobbyists in charge of it. That's ridiculous. In charge of our, um, the FCC is a Verizon lobbyist, a former Verizon guy. Mm -hmm. Like this is all a huge problem. So I think they also need to take the time to start putting in some bans on uh, lobbying yeah, and yeah. foreign and um, public go. service. Absolutely. Um, on both directions. Yeah. So if you're going to be a politician, and I think one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of Republicans speaking out against Trump right now is that they don't want to hurt their future job prospects. Exactly. And they know they're going to have a cushy lobbying job or a job on Fox News when they leave office. Yep. There should be bans on participating in those yeah. types of uh, positions afterwards. Um, sorry, but most of them are millionaires anyway. You made your money. Yeah. Uh, so ban that. Also have a ban on people that worked as lobbyists or had to register as foreign agents from participating in government right. for whatever X number of years it is. And, and and also, like, with the whole foreign lobbyist thing, like, again, I don't know what the laws are, but the, the fact that all these people in Trump's orbit have, have come out and later had to, like, modify their reporting and saying, like, oh, yeah, I was a foreign lobbyist at this point. Uh, again, I don't know what those rules are, but that seems to me like that's not something that you should just kind of forget. And maybe there should be some teeth around some of these things. Like if you don't report that you have some foreign country's interests in some way and then that comes out and you have to modify it, maybe there's just no, you're just out. Yeah, and, that should and disqualify you Yeah, you're just, immediately. You're, you're out and you're banned from ever holding any kind of public office again. Like, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like how do you, how do you taking money from foreign governments and then you okay, you work in our government, not saying that by itself should be should disqualify you, but you don't even mention it when you apply uh, or for your background checks or whatever, and then you have to come back and say, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, I did take money from this foreign government. To me, that's like, well, then you're out. Like, you, you can't qualify to, to serve in a government anymore. Yeah, there's no reason why a guy like um, Paul Manafort should have ever served on Trump's campaign. Yeah. Uh, and... If you don't remember, because that was... Ages ago. Yeah, it feels like uh, decades ago in the scandal verse that we've got going on. Um, 
you know, he's since been convicted of tax and bank fraud. He lost his license to practice law. But it goes back even further. Like, read up about Paul Manafort. It's a fascinatingly depressing story about his time all the way back to Gerald Ford and mm-hmm. Reagan, mm-hmm. worked with them. He essentially invented foreign lobbying. Wow. He had a huge part in getting money into U.S. politics from foreign places. Um, it's insane to me that we allow this to happen. It's, again, so many conflicts of interest present yeah. themselves when you have this kind of money flowing into elections. So that's got to stop. And then on top of that, you had mentioned the Paris Accords before. That's the other big thing. Um, it kind of ties into what I was just saying as well, like get lobbyists out. So people that are from the oil and coal industry should not be in charge of the EPA. Yeah, um, That should, by all means, be an impartial, hopefully bipartisan um, body mm-hmm. that looks out for the health of not only Americans, but the planet. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're all screwed. Yep. So those people should not be involved. And I think we need to be taking more actions once we get the lobbyists out too, you know, get back in the Paris Accords, take steps, incentivize industries that are cleaner, that can also provide jobs. Like, it seems like such a no-brainer, but there's so many people just clinging on to, like, the old dying way of life Yeah, that probably know they won't be around to see temperatures in New York City rise to 110 degrees uh, in the future. So they don't care yeah. because they're making their money now and they feel like it doesn't affect them. So there's so many things that uh, Democrats should do if they were to take the White House, the Senate, and keep the House. Um, and that's just like tip of the iceberg, but we don't have all day. Yeah. So <laughs> let's move on to something else we talked about the other night, Dennis. So the GOP now, as we're wading through this cesspool that is impeachment, um, their new argument is that there's nothing wrong with soliciting help from a foreign government to investigate political rivals. They're making the argument that, hey, people do political research all the time, opposition research. Yeah. How is this any different? Mm -hmm. So, Dennis, why is it different? Okay, so just to, yeah, just to lay this all out there, let's, let's, one of the GOP kind of talking points is how um, the DNC or Hillary's campaign uh, ended up getting this steel guy through some channels and somehow ended up funding his research that went and found this whole steel, steel dossier or whatever. And I guess what they're trying to do is make an equivalency and say, oh, that guy is not an American. He did this research. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a huge difference. Um, you know, our elections should be our choice, the American voter's choice. And there's one thing about getting information from uh, other governments or not necessarily other governments, but information that's gathered outside of this country or things that a candidate did outside the country and pulling that into um, the political scene. But to have the current president uh, putting pressure or even if not like there's two different things here, right? It's it's all laid out in that July 25th phone call. It's there's I want you to open this investigation 
into my political rival. And it's then come out since that he actually didn't even care that they actually opened investigation and or did any investigation. They just wanted it announced. Yeah, the optics so, of it were enough. Yeah, that's all he wanted. He just wanted the optics of this country is investigating uh, this political rival and his family. So only for the purpose of kind of soiling his name and and making that a narrative that can be talked about and everything like that. That to me is is not. I mean, clearly, the fact that he didn't actually want investigations to be started, didn't care if there were investigations, means that this is all political posturing. This is just to affect the election. And I and I think getting foreign governments to open official investigations or announce their opening official investigations is just like this is just not something that we can say is fine. Um, and then when you add to that the idea that there was possibly this, you know, well, if you do this, then we're going to release this aid to you that was already granted by the government. But now we're going to we're going to somehow put the brakes on it and we're kind of hold this up. If you don't do this favor, it just it just blows my mind that anyone can think that this is just all fair game. And and I really I really like to challenge people to, you know, to even to challenge me on this. Like if if you really think that it's perfectly fair game in any and all elections to reach out to foreign governments uh, and have them take official actions or announce official actions against political rivals, I really want to hear the defense of how that is just all fair game for politics and you know assuming everyone here or a lot of people that listen to this are you know lean liberal i challenge you to to ask you know your right-leaning conservative friends and family what their explanation is of of why they think this is okay because i i I really i really want to hear what real voters and not what the talking heads and and sitting congressmen and congresswomen say about this but but what real american voters think and how they justify this being okay and not a big deal because to me it's is it is how a democracy dies to have totally up for sale elections where it's like we need some we want some help politically and and you know we can trade favors or hold up money or pay out or buy these favors from other foreign countries to come in and and to and to affect our elections. I, I just think this is if if we can't have our elections without this kind of foreign interference, then then we're not we're not really a country. Yeah, and that that was very well said. Yeah, there's a huge difference between hiring like a private investigator, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> invoking the assistance of a foreign intelligence agency. Yeah which we've seen a pattern of with Donald Trump, whether it was him asking Russia to release emails mm-hmm. or find Hillary Clinton's emails, which, again, Corn, we have evidence now that they started that very day. Yeah. The second he made that announcement on public TV, Russia started looking and hacking DNC servers yeah. um, because they were like, oh, I guess it's okay. Yeah. We, we got the green light. So it's, it's a pattern, I think, of corruption here. And we shouldn't be okay with foreign governments getting involved. I 
second Dennis's call to action for our liberal friends to ask your Republican-leaning friends and family about this. And also, maybe have them participate in this thought experiment. We'll literally just replace every Donald Trump reference with Barack Obama. Yeah. And just say, oh, well, did you think it was okay when Obama did this? And they're going to say no if they're like a lot of the people I know. Yeah. Because one, they probably don't even know the history of it and won't even realize that you've flop, you know, flip-flopped the names on them. But I think it, for those that are going to be honest about it and say, oh shit, yeah, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be okay if Democrats did the same thing. I wouldn't, like, I would not be okay with it. A lot might be in denial about that, but some of them might see the light on that and say, okay, well, you're right. If Barack did it, I'd be pissed. I should be pissed that it's happening now. That's how I try to look at things now, too. When there's a story that's positive for Donald Trump, I don't immediately try to cut it down because he's Donald Trump. Like, if I think it's good for the country, I'm like, okay, let me me see. And if I find myself leaning and veering that way, where I'm like, "Eh, yeah, there's got to be some kind of strings attached to this, I think, all right, let's pretend Obama passed this instead. How would I feel then? Would I be all right with it? Okay, then I'm going to let this one slide, and I'm not really going to dive too much further into this. Right. Um, That said, always do your due diligence anyway and look into these motivations because we found in this Ukraine stuff that's going on, the motivation behind it is paramount to this whole impeachment case. It's asking someone to investigate a political rival which is so, so dangerous to have Ukraine or any other country get involved. Yeah. And at the start of your talking points before, Dennis, you had mentioned that, you know, they they waited to do this, and now that's come out, you could see it's totally for political gain. There was no benefit to America for this. Right. I'd add to it that, if they knew this was going on, if let's let's pretend that the Hunter Biden story is true, and there's like so many levels of corruption going on here in the uh, the Biden family, pretend that's true for a minute. So they're making this argument that everybody knew about this beforehand. Well, why didn't they open up this investigation immediately? Right. Or ask Ukraine to do this day one or the first month? Mm-hmm. They waited until it was almost election time. Yeah. It's all timed perfectly. It's nothing but political. There's nothing there to this. And I, too, invite anyone that's listening here, if you disagree with it, you have a reasoning why you support this, let us know. Like, find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, Instagram, go to our website, fill out the contact information form. I'd love to hear it, even if you're going to share just your family members' excuses for it. Yeah. Uh, their reasoning behind it. I'd love to hear it. Definitely. I, I really would like to hear some arguments around this. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be really enlightful to just kind of enlightening to, to just kind of see uh, what people are saying and, and, and just to, yeah, try to even, you know, just be open-minded and, and just see what other people are thinking. Uh, Cause it seems, it seems crazy to me. Yeah, and for those of you that don't like to wade into political discussions, I know I have a lot of friends that you know, will talk about it privately but never want to come on the pod to do so. Um, if you go to our website, www.drinkingliberallypod.com, the contact form, 
You can submit anonymously. Put it there. Let me hear your thoughts. You only have to tie your real name to it. That's perfectly fine by me. I just want to hear the reasoning. Not going to hold it against you personally. I'm just genuinely curious. And you brought up kind of the whole thought experiment of, you know, what would happen if this was Obama or whatever. Like one of the things I um, heard and, and kind of read the other day was our one of our favorite um, Trump appointees, um, Pompeo. Oh. Back in uh, 2016. Here's a, uh, a quote from him. So this is uh, before Trump uh, became the nominee uh, when Pompeo was against Trump. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo warned in 2016 that Donald Trump was an authoritarian in the mold of then-President Barack Obama. Oh. Yeah. Um, so at the time, he was the, uh, he represented the Kansas 4th Congressional District. So Pompeo said, quote, you know, Donald Trump the other day said that if he tells a soldier to commit a war crime, the soldier will just go do it. He said, they'll do as I tell them to do. And then he goes on and says, we've spent seven and a half years with an authoritarian president, referring to Barack Obama, who ignored our constitution. We don't need four more years of that. So that's that's Pompeo's, you know, take. That's, that's where he's coming from. Yeah, that's that's his take. You know, against Trump early in the 2016 election, but saying that Trump would be authoritarian like Obama for eight years. My God. Which, on so many levels, I it just this just made me scratch my head. Um, and now I, I will say, I, I guess this kind of narrative came because Obama did a lot of executive actions. Um, but again, for the whole thought, back to the whole thought experiment, everyone out there, you know, Trump still to this day rails about how he's gotten the most done of any president in the history mm. of this country. And he uses that, like his backup for that is basically all these you know, executive actions that he's, that he's signed to do things um, because he hasn't passed much of anything um, as, as to laws. So, again, like, executive actions under Obama, he's an authoritarian, uh, he's, he's, you know, hates the Constitution, um, but now that that's what we're getting under Trump, you know, you don't hear you don't hear that anymore. So yeah, it just and this goes for both sides, you know, conservatives and, and liberals and progressives. You know, you, you kind of have to always put the shoe on the other foot and say, if this president or this person was of the opposite party, how would I feel about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I don't think Trump is. A terrible person or a terrible president because he's issued executive actions that you know that's in his power to do um so i would not say he's authoritarian and, and a terrible person because of it because i'm going to be fair to him you know the same way obama executive ex- executed uh, issued executive actions but like yeah i just i just find it an interesting comment with pompeo basically that's a fascinating argument to make especially if he's coming from the world that 
he's authoritarian because of the unilateral nature of executive orders. Mm -hmm. Because if you go back, like Barack Obama issued like 276 executive orders. Mm -hmm. George W. Bush issued 291. Mm -hmm. So I guess he's also authoritarian. I guess so. Uh, Bill Clinton issued uh, over 360. Yeah, he did a lot. And then let's also remember that Donald Trump right now um, is over 140 Okay. About three years in. So it's kind of at the halfway mark of what Obama did in eight years. Yeah. And Trump's there in three at the halfway mark. So yeah, he yeah. could do it in six if you extrapolate. Mm-hmm. So he's on pace to outpace Obama on these. So if that's your argument, that's kind of flawed. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's not something I would really hold against a president because it is within their power to do so. Um, it is probably the only tool they have to circumvent a stonewall in Congress. Right. Um, unfortunately, and that's kind of where we find ourselves these days. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to watch Pompeo, a guy that like supports torture and all this other shit, talk about authoritarianism. Yeah. And especially in 2016, and now he licks down Trump's boots. Yep. And it's been so funny to just watch a lot of these people debase themselves just to be in his orbit because they found it's more profitable to be there yeah. than to have him turn against you. That is authoritarianism. Yep. Like you should be afraid of a government that its own members, the own inner circle, are afraid to betray him because they don't want their lives ruined. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how we got here so fast. Yeah, three years. Wow. Yep. <laughs> wow. That's all there is to say about it. <laughs> it's just wow. Uh, and they're all doing this for a guy that doesn't know how toilets work. <laughs> oh, wow. This, this was amazing. <laughs> Should we, uh, yeah, I feel like we got to touch on this. Yeah, we have to. It's too silly not to. Yeah. Like, all right, so for those of you that are lucky enough to have missed this story, um, it came out that uh, Donald Trump was at an event with uh, donors and talking about how the EPA is looking into water flow very strongly at his suggestion. Uh, Yeah, this is a crisis, apparently. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not even his suggestion. It was a 2018 legislation that actually told the EPA to go do this. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, Donald Trump thinks it takes people like 15 flushes to flush their toilet, Mm. which is a weird thing to say on a few levels, like without getting like too degrading here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I guess this is what happens if you eat nothing but KFC (laughs) and McDonald's all the time. You need 15 flushes to get that bad boy down. But like, also, if it's flushing 15 times, it's not broken. <laughs> it's clearly working. <laughs> so no matter where you come from this, I, I, I don't know what he was trying to get at. Um, he also decides to educate everyone during this event on um, what rain is. Mm. Did, you, did you see this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did he say about that? He said... He's um, like, also, water falls from the sky. That's called rain. Like, yes. Amazing. Donald. You're right. He was, he was saying how... Um, there are some states 
that have so much water they don't know what to do with. And he's like, it's called it's called rain. They have rain. Yeah, and they, it's they, coming they, from the sky. They don't know what to do with it all. Um, and then at the same time, people have to flush 15 times to use their toilet. And, and you know, it's just, yeah, it was just a complete kind of diarrhea of the mouth. I don't, I don't really know where he's <laughs> no going. No pun intended there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, I guess I guess if you were to take this all seriously, he is I guess that there's a possibility that they may roll back regulations on like the low flow toilets and faucets and stuff yeah, that are trying to conserve to water. With. And so we're going to possibly roll those back so that it uses more water, I guess. Right. Yeah. Trump's argument. All right. So let's let's take it at face value. I know we're poking fun here. Let's let's take it at face value and say, dive into what I think in his warped mind right. he's getting at, which no one at this point knows. Right. No, it, you can't know. It's impossible. Right. It, we're just we have to just try. He might literally believe people flush ten times, fifteen times, as opposed to once. Right. Um, but his argument is that now it takes if you're flushing 10 times, take so much more water than if we had a higher flow toilet to start. Yes. Yes. Which is stupid regardless, but yes, (laughs) he also thinks that there's so little water coming out of faucets that you can't wash your hands anymore. Oh yeah. 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 (sighs) Yeah. He seems like just drip drip. Yeah. I don't know where he's living. Like this guy's remember he's from New York, right? Not a place that's really known for water shortages. Correct. Um, maybe Trump Tower had some plumbing issues. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But he's in the White House, too, where I imagine their faucets work just fine. I would assume so. I don't know where this story comes from, like how he's... I, he's probably making them up, yeah. honestly. I, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I doubt someone came and complained to him that the water flow had slowed to a trickle out of their faucet. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are parts of America where water is not great. Yes. Look at California, where they right. have droughts. Yes. Um but this is just like a non-existent issue that he's bringing up here. To make this false argument just so you could overturn regulations on water usage mm. seems so stupid and misplaced. And he continued to make that argument and we didn't really we didn't do a fake news of the week, but we could consider this the fake news of the week. And this same argument he brings up uh it's just a, a kind of a throwaway line for him that there are you know, parts of the country have so much water that they just let it flow out to sea because they don't know what to do with it. Mm. Trump says this a lot about California. Yeah. That they don't capture the water. They just let river water just run straight into the ocean, which is not true right. in any sense. Like, look it up anywhere. All He could do a simple Google search and just find Or, you know, he's in charge of the government. He could ask the EPA. Yeah. Or Department of Agriculture, any of them, for this data. That's just not something that happens. Right. <laughs> I feel like California decided to divert all their rivers straight into yeah, the just, ocean rather than use that water yeah. for their farmlands that are under constant drought warnings right. these past few years. Yeah, we don't need that. Just let that go right into the ocean. Yeah. So silly. <sighs> I, I don't understand some of these things. Um, like, at its worst case, like, yeah, at its best case, it's fun to make fun of. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of dive into like where the Republican mindset is. Mm-hmm. The talking points he was given was that maybe these water regulations aren't benefiting somebody, so let's overturn them. Yeah. And then this is what he comes up with to justify it. But at the worst case, 
this sounds like like someone with severe like mental decline. Right. Who's just railing against whatever the most recent thing he heard. It's like, oh, I heard that, and then exaggerates it to an extreme. It's kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't forget that we've heard over and over from, from different people that have left the White House and different, I guess, anonymous reports that this guy doesn't understand anything. Uh, you know, Obama used to read, you know, huge briefings that he used to get. Obama used to read. You could have stopped right there. Right. Yeah. He used to read. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he still does. <laughs> and, um, and, and Trump is notorious for just not reading briefings. Um, you know, there's a, the stories about how the, the uh, daily intelligence report, like he just wouldn't read it. Yeah. Um, and, and then he'd get reports and, and he would want pictures and he would want it. He'd want like a page at most of, of the, of a summary and, and he wouldn't want like a huge report. And, um, people saying that he just doesn't know what he's talking about. He he just makes stuff up. He trusts his gut. You know, people he can be given facts, and he just says, "I don't believe that. That's not how I feel." Like, I I I really don't understand how someone can see this behavior and think, "Yeah, yeah, I'm voting for that. I want more of that." If this guy was your father or grandfather. You'd be putting him in a home. Yeah. Spewing the kind of things he says. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Like, this guy can't... He can't care for himself anymore. Right. He's clearly off his rocker. He needs full-time care. Yeah. Like, just try to imagine. Another thought experiment for everybody. Imagine this guy is one of your family members. What would you do about this? It's gone beyond the point of awkward guy at Thanksgiving that you just ignore because you don't have to see him once a year. Like, pretend that family member has direct control over your life. Yep. And that, that's where we find ourselves right now. It's really scary. And just to put a bow on the whole Donald Trump toilet thing, I'm not going to make any toilet jokes, <laughs> uh, but just from his own EPA's estimates, is that toilets use 30% of the water in an average American household. Okay. That's a lot of money. So anything to cut down on that percentage saves Americans money. Yeah. Uh, so there's regulations in place. I, I never thought I'd have to talk about this. Um, regulations in place where new toilets only use like 1.6 or 1.5 gallons per flush. Right. You'll see that especially in like public places. It's labeled right on top of a lot of these toilets. Yeah. Uh, where older ones could have used up to five gallons. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. A lot of water. And it saves the average American household over 110 per year in water costs in about a couple thousand lifetime mm -hmm. over the course of the toilet's lifetime. Yeah. Um, which might, maybe you see that number and you're like, that's pennies, but I'll take an extra 110 just to, you know, improve the environment. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's really just a no brainer. Right. So I'm, I'm replacing my toilet. Um, I get to save money in water and it helps the environment, not seeing where the, the, the negative is. There's here. no downside to this. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, just to make that clear. <laughs> All right. To bring us back up, uh, we're going to get to a close of our episode. We're going to talk about some uplifting news. 
Great. from around the globe. I love it. To bring everybody, uh, bring their spirits higher up in the, in the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and number one on the list today, uh, Kansas City, Missouri has become the first major city with fare-free public transit. Wow. They've always had this like uh, trolley-style streetcar that mm-hmm. was free to take. Um, they're expanding usage of that. It's going to go a little further. I think it currently goes like 15, 20 blocks. They're going to expand how far it goes. But they're also um, making their buses free. Wow. Bus usage should be free. And the direct thinking behind this is that it will benefit a lot of lower-income families that take public transit to work. Mm-hmm. They're in back, people that can't afford a car. And will also incentivize people to use mass transit. This sounds amazing. Better for the environment. Yeah. All for a low, low cost of $8 million a year, which might sound like a lot, but in the grand scheme of tax dollars, really drop in the bucket. Yeah. It's a, a great idea. I can't wait to see more cities institute things. Absolutely. Like I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So good on you, Kansas City. I feel like they've popped up a few times recently with some good uh, progressive legislation. So... Uh, keep it up. And then I know we, we've talked about the environment a, a number of times today. So here's a, a good news piece for the environment coming out of Scotland. So Scotland's actually taking this massive effort to restore their peatlands, uh, which are the bogs. Mm-hmm. And bogs store double the amount of CO2 that a forest of the same size does. Okay. Stores a lot of it underwater and decaying plant matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, over the last, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, factories have diverted waterways and drained bogland. Farmers have diverted waterways and bogland for their own crops, which exposes a lot of that land with decaying plant matter that, when it decays, releases a ton of CO2 into the air. Yeah. Not great for the warming of the planet, adding that extra CO2 to the environment. So Scotland is rehabilitating these areas. And they're rebuilding their boglands, essentially, um, to trap the CO2. It's a huge step in the right direction. Scotland has a disproportionate amount of bogland in their um, geography there. But it's a great move, and this is something else. I want to see tons of countries follow their lead. Because one of the biggest threats we have right now is that we might get to this snowball effect uh, chain reaction, where as the planet warms... We get areas like boglands, peatlands, um, permafrost. Mm-hmm. You go in North America that will melt and release methane and other, you know, heavy greenhouse gases into the environment, into the atmosphere. Yeah. As the temperature raises, which then in turn causes the temperature to raise more. And at that point, it's kind of a runaway cycle that we're probably not coming back from. So anything to prevent it now before it gets to that point, is a good move. So yeah, this is awesome. Good on you, Scotland. Kansas City and Scotland, shout out to both of those areas. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so with that, Dennis, thanks so much for joining this week. No problem. Always a pleasure. Happy to have you here. Uh, for those of you that want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at drinking underscore lib pod. Also check out our website, www.drinking liberallypod.com you'll find our anonymous form where you can submit any kind of feedback you want tell us whether you like or hate the pod uh, give us your reasoning for supporting anything we talked about today or opposing it we'd love to hear it and best thing is you can keep it anonymous if you want so maybe we'll uh, read some of those out on the pod in the future that's all we've got for you this week 
Talk to you next. Cheers.